Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! Connor Tate is going to round third, he will score! And rounding third is Blaylock, he will score! And the dogs walk it off! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, along with my buddy Jonathan Williams, have an action-packed episode, as always, for you guys. Uh, obviously, we got to talk a little bit about Kentucky. Then we're going to talk about something, as you can see in the title, is can Georgia go back-to-back, or will Georgia go back-to-back? We will get into that pretty deep as well. And then Georgia and Kirby Smart are on the rise of doing something pretty historical. And if you really look at like the way he's doing things, it's it's really interesting to see. Uh, and then, as always, King of the Hill. Um, and then, you know, we got the nerds on Saturday, so I'm sure we'll talk about that for a minute as well. Right, Jonathan? I know that's got to be discussed for a minute, right? You know? Uh, I, I mean, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, it, it kind of sucks that, like, how one of your biggest rivals, like, throughout history and, like, your in-state rival has just become another – it's just another game at this point. You know, no Georgia fan or at least, like, majority of Georgia fans, I feel like, don't even get excited for this game anymore because – of how bad Georgia Tech has been in recent years. And, I, you know, I looked it up the other day, and Georgia Tech has only beaten Georgia three times since 2001. Yeah. So, it's just – Yeah. It's not it – has not been – they've only scored a total of, I want to say, 28 points or something like that in the last um, four or so uh, – or in the last four years. You know, outside of that one time that they got Kirby Smart in Georgia in his first year – it's been all of Georgia. They got shut out last year, and they just have not been able to do anything, find any type of success since um, since Kirby Smart has arrived. Yeah, it's definitely like there's been conversation. I know you and I have talked about this, and we really said was, I mean, is it really a rivalry anymore? I think to be a rivalry, you have to have some back and forth. You have to have some competition. And right now, at least the current state of it, you have no competition. You have no back and forth. And so I don't really know – um, if I would call it a, a rivalry, at least it's not in the heat of its rivalry in the sense of like there's not a lot of competition right now. You really go into this game knowing how the thing's going to play out. Um, and I'm not saying overlook Georgia Tech and look on to LSU like some people might, but because you, you, I mean, they did just beat North Carolina, who was a potential playoff team based on the way they were. Now, they were barely winning some games throughout the entire year, and they were basically on the brinks of losing like six different games, I think, um, where they won within like three points or somewhere along those lines. Um, so they, they weren't exactly like a powerhouse team, but 
Georgia Tech did beat them recently, so and they've been winning a few games since they've got their interim head coach now that Jeff Collins is gone. So it's not a team that you want to just completely overlook and act like you don't need to care about it because and we know this. We talked about this um, before. Was Kirby Smart doesn't do that either. He is focused on this team. I mean, he was mad that Kentucky had it a six-hour head start on him getting ready for game planning because Georgia had a later game than they did that that day. Um, so he's not going to overlook that game. But we'll go ahead and start speaking of Kentucky. Let's go ahead and jump into that, Jonathan. We were there. It was absolutely freezing, right? So you're not going to have your game plan that some people expect to have where you just air it out and really just drive up the score, which is what people would want. And yes, Kentucky ended up being kind of in that game at the end of it. They had a chance to win that game late in that game. But Georgia walks away with the win. How are you feeling about everything, knowing how the weather conditions were? And I'm not saying blame the weather like Tennessee fans and other people like that. I'm just saying, knowing the current situation it was, are you happy with the performance that you saw on Saturday? I mean, I guess so. And Dan, I see your comments about me sounding a little weird. I'll go ahead and say, I was irresponsible. Did not bring my mic home for the holiday week. So I'm going through the speakers in my laptop. So if the quality's down, I apologize for that. I also have a whining dog downstairs, so if you hear that as well, this <laughs> is how we're rolling with it tonight, man. You know, you got to get the content out, and you just got to push through adversity, man. That's what Kirby Smart would tell me to do. You got to attack the day to the best of your abilities, and so that's how I'm, that's how I'm going to do it. But the Kentucky game, it was it was interesting because Kentucky fans pretty much left at halftime. They were like, it was it like especially the sections that you you and me were in, like it was a ghost town around. It cleared out. People were leaving at halftime, and like. Everybody just kind of assumed Georgia's going to roll in the second half. This isn't going to be a game. And then before you know it, Kentucky has a chance to tie up the football game. And obviously they didn't, but they got within striking distance. So they made a little bit of game there there at the end. But I think the biggest factor that kind of tells you that Georgia did not run their typical style offense is that Stetson Bennett had 19 attempts against Kentucky. And he's been average. He's probably averaging, I don't know the exact number, but he's probably averaging close to like 34 attempts on the season. So that there's a major drop off there. Clearly they didn't pass the ball around. You couldn't, man. There was like 15, 20 mile per hour winds. It was freezing cold. There was no need to. So if you could win the game by just running the ball, killing clock and getting the heck out of there, then that's what you're going to do. And so that's what they did. And you got the win. That's all that matters at this point He's, in the year. I mean, there's no need to be attempts a game is what he's averaged, including this game. Like, so he's he's been throwing the crap out of the ball. So you're very accurate with that comment. It was kind of like last year. You know, like it was one of those games where he threw the ball 19 times. And you're going, yeah, that's that's how they game planned last year the entire season, uh, where he would throw for the 14 times sometimes, and Georgia would just roll. Right. I think this is what we, you and I talked about, and it's it's one of those things where Georgia came into the game with a game plan, right? They knew it was cold. They knew it was windy. They knew it was just not a, a ideal scenario for your, you know, run and gun offense where you're just slinging it everywhere and all that kind of stuff. And they, they definitely relied heavy on their run game. They definitely said, we're going to line up. We're going to run the ball a ton, 46 times, and we're going to do it successfully. Well, yeah, you ran for 247 yards on Saturday on 46 attempts, and your leading rusher was Kenny McIntosh with 143 yards, who has, that's a great day. He's only the second Georgia running back to go over 100 yards this season. So that's a darn good day um, on the season right now. And you had somebody else, Robinson, I think, was at what, like 97 or something like that? One, he was at 98 when he played Auburn. Auburn, yeah. So uh, we've been close, but this is the best running performance that you've had on the season from a uh, an individual guy. And as a team, that's a lot of that's a lot of yards offensively. 
Um, and, and it's not your 500 yards a game kind of thing, but you still had 363 yards of total offense um, with the weather conditions that you were in. Honestly, I'll take that win and walk away knowing that you survived it because think about like you get into bad weather games, stuff can go poorly for you. Ohio State had a really bad weather game a couple weeks ago and they struggled against a non-competitive um, team, a team that's not on their level as well, but it was really windy. They had to change their game plan. They're happy to walk away with the win. You know, Tennessee came into Athens. They blamed it on the rain. They lost that game. You know, Georgia Georgia walks away from this game and not saying you blame it on the weather because I don't think you blame it on the weather. I think you adapt to the weather and as long as you can win in different scenarios. And that's what Kirby Smart talked about in his post-game press conference was or in his post-game uh, uh, speech to his to his team. Uh, the video came out this week on that and he was saying, I love you guys. You can win in so many different environments and different in different ways. That's what I want to see. And that's exactly that tells you that they came in there going, hey, this this is not a normal day-to-day that we're used to, we're going to do things differently, but we're going to show that we can still win this way. Now, one thing that Georgia definitely cannot continue to do moving forward, because at this point you get Georgia Tech and then you get an SEC championship game against LSU, and then you're in the playoffs. You cannot keep kicking so many freaking field goals. you got to stop stalling in the red zone. You've got to be able to punch that ball in on fourth and inches or fourth and one in in the goal line. You've got to score that touchdown. Those are the things that worried me because that's been something all season long that we've dealt with is these field goals. And so what do, what do they have to do, right? What does Georgia need to do to be able to like that last one, fourth and one? And, and I feel like this is something that fourth and short or third and short yardage situations they've struggled with a lot. They're not getting the push they need on these runs or whatever they need to do. They got to get a little more creative or something because they're not getting that push up front on those short yardage plays. That's the issue that I have with Georgia on Saturday, and I know you do too because that's that's been an all-season-long problem. Yeah, definitely red zone. It's funny because anybody who would go and look at like red zone conversion rates in college football, Georgia's at the top. They're the highest-rated conversion rate in, in the red scoring, zone yeah. amongst, amongst all college football teams in the FBS. But the kicker is is that, yeah, they're kicking a lot of field goals. You know, the kicker is they're kicking a lot of field goals. But – it's funny, and, and it's also weird because Georgia is up for potentially winning the Joe Moore Award. At least I think that's what it's called, and it's for the best offensive line yeah. unit in off college football. Because for the other ninety yards or whatever, they are fantastic. They're one of the best. They are clearly one of the best units in college football. They like I don't think they've given up a sack for Stetson Bennett in like four straight games. I want to say. Um, so. But it's just those those ten, those ten yards. They just have not been able to figure it out this year, and they're getting stuffed in the run game. And it's just a lack. They're not being able to get a lot of push up there. So that's been an issue, and it's been an issue all year. So you kind of hope and pray that it doesn't come like you, when it comes to playoffs or whatever that it doesn't come down to a goal line situation for Georgia to win the game potentially because they hadn't looked good in those situations. You know, even with the jumbo package, you know, they put in Jalen Carter a few times like they did with Jordan Davis in years past. And even those plays haven't really panned out for them the way that they did last year. They didn't have, they have not had a high success rate with those either. So still trying to figure those things out and it's definitely something they got to get better at. But at the same time, I mean, you're at your final regular season game. So you kind of are what you are in those situations. There's not a lot of time to just say like, well, we can get better. But the good news is that once you get out of the SEC championship game, you pretty much have three or four weeks to game plan for your, um, for your playoff game, so maybe there's time. There's a there's a window there for you to kind of fix those issues, kind of analyze it and get those things cleaned up. Yeah, exactly. And and once again, Georgia's obviously eleven and, and oh. 
So they're winning these games and they've settled for a lot of field goals in some of these games. Like the, the games that Georgia struggled in has been field goal games. You had Samford was a lower scoring game. I think it was the 31 to nothing game, but uh, still shut them out. So it wasn't like a close game. It was just lower scoring than what you've seen. Some a lot of like a few field goals in that game. Um, Kent State kicked kicked several field goals in that game. That was a tough one. And then Missouri, a, a close game, very close game that you're happy to just win and walk away from a lot of field goals in that game. And then this past weekend, you're kicking a lot of field goals again. The games that Georgia struggles in is when they're having to settle for those field goals because they're getting, like you said, they're driving the field. They're getting all the way, right? And th- they're scoring points. They're just not getting in the end zone as much as you need them to in some of these games where you need them to now score you know, 40 points a game or something like that as they had all season. That average has now dropped from 41 points a game. I think it was a couple weeks ago. Now it's down to 38 points a game back to right around where it was last season uh, offensively. So you're no longer having that 40-plus point game season anymore because you've had a couple of low-scoring weeks. So you've got to hope that they can figure something out or they just score from a little bit longer of a distance and so they, they don't have to get into those short yardage plays. That's what you honestly how you fix it for Georgia at this point because like you said, you are who you are. You're not going to be able to go out there and just fix the problem at the front line of scrimmage in the sense of getting that extra yard push that you haven't been able to get all season long. It's a constant problem that's not going to fix in one week. What you can fix though is try to keep yourself out of those short yardage situations. Stop getting in those one-yard situations at the goal line or score a little further out so you don't find yourself in that spot. That's going to be the easiest way to fix the problem that at this point because, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Uh, they're, they're loading the box on you. They're going straight down the middle on you, knowing that's where you're going, unless you just get really creative with play calling to try to stretch the field in those situations to where they have to open up the gaps for you a little bit better in the middle. It's going to be a tough spot. Honestly, I don't know how much you can really do in that aspect of it at this point. Like you said, you are who you are at this point in the season. It's week 12, final regular season game. Um, Stetson Bennett took a pretty big hit this week with his yardage only going for 100 and something yards, 118 or whatever it was. I, I closed the thing so I don't see it right now. But um, So now he's not on track for having as many yards as we talked about. He kind of had a, a big hit to that. But he could go out there this week against Georgia Tech and throw for you know, 380 or something like that and four touchdowns. And all of a sudden he kind of opens up that conversation and it was 116 yards for him this week. So, uh, but once again, as a total offense, you take the production you had, you move on from this week. It was really cold. I think it got down to about 19 degrees. You had up to 20 mile an hour winds. You and I almost froze to death sitting there. Um, so honestly, I'm not one of those fans that goes, it just looked terrible. I, I can't, like, it almost doesn't feel good to win like that. No, man, I'm, I was, Sitting in those stands, I'm happy to walk away with a win knowing that, you know, you live to fight another day and you're still in a spot to go undefeated regular season for the first time back to back since Alabama did it, right? In 15? Yeah, it'd be it the 15? first time in first time in program history and the first time since Alabama did in 2008 and 2009 is when they did it. And so, that's in reference yeah, to SEC you're, football you're, teams. You're on the verge of making some history there, both program and nationally wise. But yeah, the good news is, like you said, you're still undefeated. You still control your own destiny and you're pretty much a lock in for the playoffs no matter what happens. You just have to get through this week now. You have to get through Georgia Tech, which it looks like there's some rain in the forecast this week. So Georgia's going to have to overcome some more weather. They're going to have to do it again. The good news is they're probably going to be playing in a lot of domes after this week. You got the, you got yeah. the bins in the SEC championship. You probably get the bins in the playoff, and then you're going to go out to um, where it's in um, I think Los it's so Angeles. Fi. 
Yeah, yeah SoFi, I think, SoFi right? Stadium. So you'll be all right after that. You won't have to worry about these cold and rainy days. Climate anymore. controlled, everything. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the weather anymore. It'll Everything's going to be just all right. Exactly. But, Georgia's going to be fine. Not concerned about that at all. But let's go ahead and jump to our next thing on it. And this is something that um, that you kind of you you were spearheading. So I'm going to let you take over real quick. Yeah, it's can Georgia go back to back? For could they become the first team in college football playoff history to go back to back? It's something that nobody's been able to do. You know, Clemson and Alabama both had chances at doing it. They duked it out for what was it three years straight? that they were mm-hmm. in the championship together. It's just ridiculous. So they all had a chance. They couldn't get it done. Now Georgia has a, tan- a chance. And the thing is, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend today. Part of me feels like Georgia is about to just waltz to another national title. You know, you kind of look at the competition that Georgia could potentially going up against, names like TCU potentially being in there, a Pac-12 team in USC, maybe Clemson slips in there, or maybe you get both Michigan and Ohio State, depending on how everything else plays out and how their game plays out as well. A lot of those games, Georgia's going to be a pretty heavy favorite. I mean, just for the SEC championship, I believe Georgia opened up as a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't know if that line has moved, but yeah. that's the number six team in the it's nation right now. right now. Or are they number five right now? They're number five, and it's a 15-point spread. So the number five team, according to the cultural playoff committee, and you're a 16-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. That. Kind of says a lot about how everybody views Georgia right now, and especially compared to all the other competitions. So there's a really good chance that Georgia just kind of cruises on to another national title. But then on the other side, you have to think too, like it can't be that easy. There's like there's no way that going that winning a national title again can be that easy for Georgia. Surely there's got to be some kind of competition or someone that plays them a lot better than you wouldn't have expected to. But at the same time, like. In those big games, like everybody thought that Tennessee was going to be this big matchup and that Tennessee was really going to test Georgia. And Georgia just dominated that game in every single way. So like every single big game that Georgia's had to get up for, they've dominated in. So that has to be kind of alarming to anybody that could potentially draw them in the playoff. And it's looking like Georgia probably is going to be playing a TCU or a USC in the first round. And I think everybody likes Georgia's chances in that game, especially considering how their defense is compared to everybody else's, especially a Big 12 or a Pac-12 team. It's just you have to really like Georgia's current situation, especially if they do indeed win out and they lock up that number one seed and you get a pretty much another home game in Atlanta for the first round. It's looking pretty good for Georgia. It's absolutely looking really good for Georgia. The the one game that I think everybody kind of expects to be the game that stands out to you, kind of like last year, you know, last year, especially once the final four shook out and you said you got Cincinnati and you got Michigan in there. Nobody was worried about Cincinnati or Michigan. Everyone said it's going to be Bama, Georgia in the national championship game. Those guys will duke it out and we'll find out what's going to happen. Same thing this year. If Ohio State makes it through this Saturday, which they're at home and I think uh, favored by seven and a half points over Michigan, if they win that game, that's the one that you're going to be looking for. You're going to look through the first round, and at that point, you say they win that game. You're probably going to have a Georgia uh, versus USC if they stay undefeated in the first round, and then you'll have a Ohio State and TCU potentially first round. And so then at, at, in those matchups, you're going to go, all right, cool, we're going to have Georgia and Ohio State in the national championship game. Same thing we did last year. We saw it, and we go, all right, it's going to be Bama and Georgia in the national championship game. You're going to do the same thing this year as long as everything stays the way it currently is. And even if things don't, I mean, 
they they are casually slipping Bama back up into the conversation, aren't they? They put them at seven this week. They're trying to inch them back in for a chaos scenario, and so they can slip them back in the playoffs. But that would be the first two-loss team. Um, it would be fitting for that to be Bama, wouldn't it? If they put a two-loss Bama in in the SEC or in the uh, fourth spot, that would be kind of fitting for them. But no, the other spot is, I mean, LSU. You could have some some hectic stuff if Georgia were to lose to LSU. That would put them in at the four and Georgia at three or vice versa, whatever they, way they wanted to do it. Um, and then that would change some of the stuff as well. Ohio State would be one, and you would have maybe a TCU at two at that point. But same thing in that scenario. You got Georgia playing TCU and Ohio State playing LSU. Most likely you're still going to get Ohio State and Georgia in the national championship game. And I think Georgia would match up pretty well with Ohio State. That is the team to look at that you don't really know, like kind of what you're talking about. You feel like you could walk to and win a national championship right now, but at the same time, you expect somebody to give you some fits. I think it would be Ohio State. I think that's the team that you would have to look at and say they would be able to play you a lot better than anybody else in that the runnings right now. Yeah, I mean, just the history of teams that have given Georgia problems has been NFL dudes under center, and that's what C.J. Stroud is. Those are the types of guys that have given – if anybody has given Georgia issues on defense, it's been those types of people. And C.J. Stroud is absolutely one of those guys that have a really good offense on the Ryan Day. they got some really good wide receivers, as they always do. So those are the types of teams that typically do challenge Georgia. And that's why I told you before the show, I think if you are Georgia – your dream scenario is that Michigan beats Ohio State pretty handily. That way you don't have any type of argument to even keep Ohio State in there. TCU right. wins out, and then USC slips up, and Clemson wins out, and they win the ACC. And then you got Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Clemson. Those are the four teams. And I think Georgia would be pretty heavily favored over all of all three of those teams. I, I just – Especially or USC Michigan's slipping off. in in that scenario, possibly over Clemson yeah. as well. One of either either way, either way in that scenario, you're going. I like Georgia's chances against all of those teams. We saw what Georgia did against Michigan last year. Michigan's still very much the same type of football team they were last year, so that's not going to change in that spot. The reason, the biggest thing, would be the unfamiliarity with some of these teams, right? Like you have never played USC, or you have. I don't know if you have or not. Honestly, with a USC, I'd have to go back and look at the history, but. Um, Somebody in the comments, if y'all want to do some a favor, has Georgia ever played USC in football before? I don't know. Um, the other one would be, you know, TCU. Georgia has played TCU in recent years. They beat TCU in a in a bowl game uh, a couple years Liberty ago, I bowl. think. Yeah, they did beat them. So they, they have a little them. bit more. But you, you got teams that you don't ever play. You you've played Michigan. You know how to beat them, and but you haven't played Ohio State, you know, in a long time either. So uh, that's where you really kind of get hurt. Is the unfamiliarity but the good thing is those teams are also unfamiliar with you so they don't know how to play you either and so at that point it comes down to the coach's game plan and what they're able to put together with your guys and honestly I, i'm trusting kirby smart at this point like i mean the guy has showed you not, no reason not to trust him in those type of situations so i do think that georgia could be in a really really good spot this year to walk to another national championship game and as long as they get there you know i i, I think they have a darn good chance of winning it and that would be crazy because, like you said, that nobody's been able to do it in the college football playoff era, winning back-to-back national championships. It is tough. It is tough to do. And Georgia already making history within their own program, you know, going back-to-back undefeated seasons as long as they get through Saturday against Georgia Tech and back-to-back undefeated divisional uh, series or season that they've done already at this point after beating Kentucky. These are things that don't happen very often. And it's it's a fun thing to sit back and watch. Okay, UGA is 0-3 versus USC all-time. Last game was in 1960. Thank you, Dan. 
So basically, they haven't played in 62 years. So that's a team you haven't played in a very long time, and you've only ever played them three times. So yeah, I'd say that's pretty unfamiliar, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But that's what's fun about the college football playoff. That's what's so exciting about it is that you get these teams that typically would never play against one another, and that's what makes it so much fun. And unfortunately, there's going to be a whole lot more of it when the 12-team playoff. And I'll just go ahead and say, if the 12-team playoff does exist, like we're not having these conversations anymore about like if TCU loses, if USC loses, etc. That no longer exists. All those teams are already going to be in the playoff unless they just absolutely get demolished and, along their path. And they just get absolutely kicked out of the playoff because they just had a major screw up along their schedule. So, but I'm not here to rain on the parade of the people that wanted playoff expansion. It's just, you know, but the fact that we are having this discussion about Kirby Smart and his football team, potentially just waltzing to another national title and just, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. guys. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. I have to keep her in her cage. So like, you're I, good. I, you're good. Man, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> The dogs are here, baby. The dogs are barking. The dogs All right. are They're barking, ready. man. They're ready, They're ready for ready this weekend, go. man. Hope you're ready, Georgia Tech. But and so I think that ha- and so that goes into the discussion I want to have about what Kirby Smart has done at the University of Georgia in such a short period of time. Because now the comparisons are really ramping up about like what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia, what Nick Saban did at Alabama, and I've kind of co- formulated this opinion that. What what Kirby Smart has had to endure during his time of built like revamping kind of Georgia and taking them to that next level has been a whole heck of a lot more difficult than what say like Nick Saban had to do back in like the mid two thousands and here's why think about the amount of change that Georgia has had to go through and just college football in general like college football has gone through over the last six years you know the transfer portal got introduced. So now players can just kind of go all over the place, all willy nilly. And you're taking in players. You get Ross, you got to manage a roster. Now numbers are a lot more crucial because maybe you want to take in a transfer guy. That means some guys might have to leave, but if some guys wants to stay, so you really got to figure all that out. He's had to go through that. He's also had to go through NIL. Now NIL has become a huge deal, not only just with your players currently on the roster and getting all that straightened out, but even in recruiting now, you've had to change that. You kind of had to fight against it. You've had to battle with it, kind of adapt to see how you can still remain competitive with NIL being a factor, like schools like Texas A&M all of a sudden bringing in number one classes. Now, obviously, that hasn't done too much for them yet, but at the same time, they took a lot of players from you in that class, and a lot of people pointed fingers because of the NIL money. So he's had to go through that as well. And then this, this is the biggest factor. He's had to get over the Nick Saban hump which we know how long that's taken. And that's one thing Nick Saban never had to do while he was building up at Alabama. Absolutely. He never had to beat himself. He never had to go through Alabama. Kirby Smart has had to do that. He's had to have these growing pains. He had to, it took him four tries to defeat Alabama finally. Finally got, got over it. So him going through all of that within six years, now seven, that's a heck of a lot of stuff to go through, Stoddard, is while trying to get to the peak, get to the pinnacle of getting to a national title. And now not only has he won a national title and has a ring on his finger, he has a great chance of doing it again in back-to-back years after a 41-year drought at the university. No, and the crazy thing, too, is talking about that kind of connecting everything into the back-to-back type run is after last year, and Georgia had 15 players drafted, and everyone's going – they're just going to be the 2019 LSU Tigers and they're going to have to rebuild back from that because they are going to have to reload from how many people they lost at, that were starters and the five guys on your defense that were in the first round or, or something like it was like 
It was insane. Like, so it, you, you had to do all of that, right? And after eight, losing, eight, I'm going to use your tweet. This is, I'm going to steal Jonathan's tweet. So you should be following him on social media. If you haven't, this is his tweet that I'm going to read off. So after losing eight of your starters to the NFL, UGA still has on defense, that was eight starters on defense. On this defense, they still have a finalist for the Butkus Award, a semi-finalist for the Outland Trophy, a finalist for the, uh, is it uh, Nagurski Trophy? I don't know how to pronounce it. And then uh, the number one scoring defense in the nation after losing all of those people. That is different. Nobody, you you tell me who's done that. I mean, that's insane. I, I mean, I you, can already go ahead and tell you that nobody's done it because I had a tweet that told you that anybody that had that amount of players drafted, all of them, every single one of them had immediate drop off the next season. They lost at least two games the very next season. Some didn't even go on to win their division in their conference following having just like 10 players drafted. UJ had 15 players drafted this past offseason, and yet they're still the number one team. Arguably should have never lost their number one ranking. Like They should have been the top team in college football from week one until now. There has been no reason why they shouldn't have. And they should, So we're talking about a team that hasn't had any type of drop-off whatsoever. Still the number one scoring defense. Offense got even better, and now they're about to stamp – another appearance in the college football playoffs and be the overwhelming favorite to win a national title. After all of that, it's ridiculous. And I honestly don't think it's being talked about enough. No, it's not. And it was like, it's, it's one of those things that like had Georgia not had a couple of struggle games in the season, like early on in the year, they, they would probably be talking about that right now because think about how they were at the beginning of the year after Georgia beat South Carolina 49 to seven, they, they, they go, oh crap! This is probably one of those dominant teams we've watched. This guy is good. They're they're good. Georgia then proceeds to struggle for a couple of games, and then they fall out of the media darling kind of like vantage point. They're no longer looking like that team anymore, and so they stop talking about it. Had Georgia not struggled a couple of times, this would be something you hear all the time but it's not right now and it's it's just so weird you're still hearing them talk about alabama you're still hearing them talk about tennessee tennessee just got absolutely boat raced this last weekend against south carolina like the team that georgia beat by the way 49 to 7 i understand it's a different time of year but you let ten- tennessee um, this is a detour in the conversation because i just got distracted and you know i'm very add so oh, it no, is what it is go ahead and tennessee tennessee Gave up nine touchdowns in ten possessions. They gave up one punt, or they had a couple other, two other possessions. One was to end the first half, and one was to end the game. But out every possession that ended in a punt or score or something, they were nine for ten. You let them score a touchdown every single time they touched the ball. I mean, that is dog water defense, South Carolina my man. Ran oh out my of god. Fireworks. Like they shoot off they did. So they score touchdowns. They ran out of them because they, they didn't expect them to score <laughs> that many points. Like that is hysterical to me. The fact that you could, your team played so well that you couldn't even celebrate their touchdowns anymore because you didn't you didn't pack enough Dude, fireworks. You didn't pack enough ammunition for it. Goodness. I mean, golly. So that team. And they're, they're, so they're, they're hopefully, hopefully we won't hear much about them anymore because we had to keep hearing about them after Georgia beat them. You oh. still had to hear from their fan base. You had to hear from the, the media still talking about, can they get in the playoffs? Will they get in the playoffs? All of this talk about everything. No, they are finally out after getting destroyed, dis- completely dismantled this past weekend. You can finally say you don't have to think about that orange, ugly team making it back in the playoffs or being in the conversation anymore. It's finally completely dissolved. 
but no, Georgia being out of the con- like not being talked about as like that dominant dominant team anymore. I think is a, it's it's disrespectful to the program and to Kirby Smart. But I think it's it's perfect for Kirby Smart. He loves it. You know he does. You know he doesn't want to be the media darling where everyone loves him and is talking so good about him. He loves being the team that people don't want to sit here and respect. He wants to be the team that they are upsetting or calling for upset picks against all the time. He wants to be that team because he he thrives in that situation. It's it's normal for him. I really do think that he feels that it motivates his guys for it a lot more than if they were the team that's just everyone looking up to, right? I think he likes that. And I think that's exactly where he wants to be. Yeah, they're the number one team in the country, but they're still having people talk about, you know, you still got Ohio State out there. And, and everyone's talking about Ohio State being a problem for him. Guess what? This past weekend, every top team barely won. So Georgia's not feeling bad about barely winning this last week because all of the top teams, TCU won on a last-second field goal over Baylor. Um, Ohio State Ohio State was up by six points before they ended up getting a defensive touchdown to make it a 13-point game in the last couple of moments of that game. So, and, and Michigan. Michigan struggled, too. I can't barely remember scraped the, by with Illinois. Yeah, they barely scraped. Oh, and, and there was a call got, in that game. Yeah. There was a call in that game that they talked about that that could have taken the game out of the hands yeah. of Illinois Definitely that could have won that Michigan game. out a little bit. So all of those teams that are in the top teams, and, and USC, USC almost lost. They were struggling early in that game against, was it UCLA? And they were losing for a long time in that game, and they ended up winning by a little bit. Every top team struggled last week. So Georgia does not care that they barely beat Kentucky because everyone struggled last week. There was a lot of cold and bad weather throughout the entire country last week. So it was just a different type of football that you got to see from everybody. And Georgia lasted. They just kept winning. That's all you got to do, man. You just got to keep winning. Yeah, I mean, you you go out and win the way you did against Kentucky the next five weeks or the next four games or whatever, no one's going to be complaining. Nobody would have a care in the world about how you played in those games. As long as you keep winning from here on out, that's all that matters. Keep adding W's to the win column, and you're going to be putting your name into history of college football books. So that's all that matters right now. And that's So Kirby Smart's definitely got his team in a good position. We know Kirby Smart does not get complacent about teams. He doesn't look ahead. He doesn't do any of that type of stuff. Or at least he tells us that he doesn't. So – even if the weather weather is a factor on Saturday, I don't see that being an issue. Especially, I mean, it's just kind of a weird situation for Georgia Tech. You're in between coaches. They have gotten some big wins. In fact, the um, they have. Keys has won more games this season than Jeff Collins did in his last three seasons with Georgia Tech. <laughs> Put that in perspective. I mean, that's pitiful. Goodness gracious, that's oh, horrible. So you know, love it. The fact that they upset UNC last week—that's huge for them. So UNC was they just one of UNC teams. last year too. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is weird. For some reason, I guess the Tar Heels cannot figure them out. And you know, we were just a week ago. You and I were talking about how maybe UNC is one of these sleeper teams that nobody's talking about about maybe making the playoff if they do kind of go out and dominate the rest of the way and they win the ACC. Maybe they do squeeze into that four spot if it comes down to it. Now we're no longer having that conversation anymore. No. They got the Tennessee oh. treatment, and you're all of a sudden out of it. For perspective, when we had that conversation, it was last week. They had Georgia Tech, North Carolina State, and Clemson. So the thought was if they win the first two games, they play against Clemson in the ACC championship game, they win that game. At that point, they are a 11 and 1 or 12 and, yeah, 12 and 1 ACC champion. At that point, yeah, they would have a conversation to be up there with like the USC, who would be a 11 and or 12 and 1 uh, Pac 12 champion or a TCU 
that, well, they're undefeated still. But you get my point that I'm saying is like they would have been in the conversation, especially after beating Clemson at that point, who is now creeped up into the top 10 again, and they're having a better season. Um, but no, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech is a team that's, it's, it's a weird one. Um, they, they beat Virginia Tech. They beat, um, they had a few big wins early. They beat Duke early in the season and they just beat North Carolina. That's a team that like, once again, we thought might be better. So it's not a team that you completely overlook. I think this is one of those games, like you said, we might get some rain. It depends on how heavy it is and what, what it looks like. It could be one of those games where you just assert your, like your, your dominance in the sense of we're bigger than you. So we're going to run the heck out of the ball and we're going to run for 300 yards today. It's not going to put up, you know, 45 points on the board probably, but we're going to out, like, we're just going to dominate you for four quarters of the football game. And it's going to be a run heavy game. If it rains a lot, that's what you'll probably see. And so you expect a guy like Kenny McIntosh or maybe Dejon Edwards or even Branson Robinson breaking out and having a big game this week. That's kind of what I'm looking for this Saturday. I don't know about you, but I I think that you get your, one of those running backs has a big game this coming weekend. That's, that's kind of what my prediction is. Yeah, running backs are probably going to eat this weekend. Georgia's going to eat this weekend, and they're going to they're going to finish with an undefeated record, more than likely, like a ninety nine point nine percent chance that they do so. But you know who else is going to be eating this week, Stoddard? Us. We get to eat. The people get to eat. You know, all I want to do is freaking eat, as Kirby Smart. <laughs> I want that's you the, to eat. I want you. That to is eat. the mood for tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day tomorrow. So that's what we're going to come into King of the Hill this week. We had to do food edition. We had to bring it back. You know, all off season we did a lot of food editions kind of talked about our opinions on things, whether pineapple belonged on pizza. We even brought in food to the studio and we (laughs) ate the one chip challenge. Lord have mercy. Did we regret that? Never again. But now we're here. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving food. You know, there's a lot of controversial opinions about what belongs on a Thanksgiving table. What are you putting on your plate? What are you not putting on your plate? So I want you to just give me the rundown starter. When you're in line, What are you looking for? What are you looking for to make sure that, oh, I got to make sure I get that on my plate? And what are you also scoping out like, nah, fam, we staying away from that. That's not looking right this year. So, like, what are you kind of looking for as you're looking at your your Thanksgiving setup? The my plate is gonna be head like I'll eat a little bit of everything because it's Thanksgiving so you gotta taste something you know sometimes it might be different this year or some somebody else made it or whatnot things can be different right but like the things that I load up heavy on your green bean casserole has got to be that that's top tier for me um, I like broccoli casseroles really good um, sometimes a good hash brown casserole on there and I'm one of those guys too like I'll, I'll get the mac and cheese and stuff like that like we talked about that pre show is some people you know think you can get it all year long but hey I mean I'm still gonna get that. Um, I, I'm the same. Dan just said something in there too. And I'm a huge ham guy. I'm a huge ham guy on Thanksgiving. I, my hot take for this, for this topic is ham's better than Turkey. Even on Thanksgiving, I will get some Turkey cause it's Thanksgiving. You got to eat a little bit, but I, I would load up my plate on ham way before I'm going to load up on Turkey. Even on Thanksgiving. I know, I know some people probably don't agree with that. Turkey has been made several different ways for me. I've had it fried. I've had it, you know, um, I've had it smoked. That's pretty good. Still, nothing beats that that honey baked ham, even on Thanksgiving. I, I'm just saying. Uh, things I avoid. I'm just not a big squash person, so like a squash casserole, not really too big for me. Um, hit or miss for me is is dressing or stuffing. It, it depends on um, how it tastes that year. Sometimes it's it's okay. Sometimes it's not so great. But I, it just kind of depends. Um, but yeah, that's that's my rundown and, and a good roll. You got to have a good dinner roll with something on there as well to kind of top King everything Hawaiian off before roll, you get to the you desserts. Know, yeah, 
definitely got to have that in the mix as well. I'm with you on the ham turkey take. I 100% would rather have ham than turkey. I'll grab me a piece or two, you know, because, yeah, turkey's not typically something you eat throughout the year. So, yeah, I'm going to put it on the plate. But for me, my must-haves, if it's done right, mac and cheese. I think everybody agrees on that. It has to be done right because, man, if you screw it it up, it is so disappointing. So it's got to be done right. But mac and cheese is definitely one of them. Deviled eggs for me, big deviled deviled egg guy. So, but again, there's like it's gotta so funny. Made right. All these foods that yeah, all these foods that you list, they got to be done right. They have to be done a specific way to your liking. To but if the way mama right, makes it, you got it's got to be the yeah. way mama makes it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's the way, the way you grew up it. eating it. Got to be like that. People, not too many people could do it the way mama makes it. So another one for me is um, sweet potato casserole, sweet potato souffle. Like oof. I like that as well. My mom makes a killer sweet potato souffle, so I'm a big guy on that as well. Um, One thing I will not, and I refuse to, is I am not putting cranberry sauce anywhere near my Thanksgiving plate. I don't care what anybody says. I don't understand the hype around it. It is disgusting when it comes out of the can. It it does not look appealing coming out of the can. It just looks it's like it's just a nasty looking dark jello and I'm not a fan of it. I you know, yeah. I tried it and I was like, this is what everybody's hyped up about is that we have a cranberry sauce. This is what we're looking forward to every year. Like, come on, man. There's so much better stuff out there on the Thanksgiving spread that you got to take advantage of. But me and you, we kind of see the same. Definitely I definitely a big green bean casserole guy. I mean, casseroles oh, in yeah. general. And this is the beauty of Thanksgiving. Most of the casseroles, that, man, they slap <laughs> Most yeah. of them are so freaking good. Thing, the best thing about casseroles is that when you take it home the next day and you eat it after a night, all those flavors soak in together. And so when you reheat oh, it up, yeah. it just tastes even better. Now, after a few days, you're kind of like, all right, can we just toss out these Thanksgiving leftovers? Because you'll be eating on them for the next five days. At, the, at some point, it's like, all right, just I get stick to it the all weekend. on your plate. Yeah, I get to the weekend. I, I So I'll eat it on like Friday, obviously, and I'll eat it on Saturday. After that, I'm I'm usually done. I'm like, I can't, I need something else. <laughs> Get me a pizza or something different because I've had this for three straight days now, constant. Like I need something different. Um, but that's just, but yeah, Thanksgiving. One thing that is really, really good. And I, cause I just talked about this a second ago, not being the best thing. One thing that I do like to have afterwards, uh, after Thanksgiving is the turkey because I will make a really good turkey sandwich. That turkey sandwich is is top tier. Right. It so really honey is. baked ham sandwiches be hitting. Those are two. Those are two. But as far as like a leftover Thanksgiving like food, that is that is where the turkey really comes into play. I will eat the turkey the next couple of days at lunch. I'll eat a turkey sandwich or something like that, and then put some other stuff on the side, like some green bean casserole or something with it. And and I'm just that. That's how I do it. That's when I eat most of the turkey on Thanksgiving Day. I usually don't eat the turkey that much, but that's just me. Dan, I should have known that you were a mac and cheese's mid type of dude. Oof. I don't care, man. Like, if it's good enough to work, how you in can his statement? It, hold on, hold on, hold on. How can he? This statement is contra, like it contradicts itself. My wife makes a killer seven cheese mac and cheese, but Dan's hot take is mac and cheese is mid. How does that make sense? If she makes a killer seven cheese mac and cheese, yeah, it's not mid, my man. Yeah, like, and typically, like, throughout the year, throughout the year, like, when you have mac and cheese, like, typically people are just making it from the box. Like, you're getting the Velveeta mac and cheese or you're getting the Kraft mac and cheese or whatever. When people go all in and they make a good, like, baked mac and cheese, it's top tier. Oh, yeah. you, I refuse to believe anything else. But th- now you're asking about best dessert. For me, personally, I've always been a huge banana pudding guy. Another thing that my mom mm-hmm. makes, she makes it typically for my birthday or something like that. 
love banana pudding. That's definitely up on the list. My One of my great aunts as well makes caramel cake. If you don't know anything about caramel cake, it is a really touchy cake to bake. And so when she makes that, I jump all over it and it is so freaking good. So those would be my top two. Caramel cake and banana pudding are the two that I'm hunting down. I've always been, all right, so I'll, I'll say the traditional thing that everybody kind of knows. I've always been a huge like apple pie and, and ice cream kind of guy, like the, the scoop of ice cream on top of like a warm piece of apple pie. Now the apple pie has to be the crumble crust like the yes. cr- or crumble topping, yes. the crumble top. I'll eat the other one, right? And, and I think actually tomorrow we don't have the crumble one because they didn't have it. So we got a regular Mom's apple pie. Out, it's still good. It's, it's still good. But the crumble one, the crumble topping, oh my God, you put that with some, with some ice cream, vanilla ice cream, and it is top tier dessert right there for me. The other one, and it's not something that anyone else is going to know because it's kind of localized to a family thing. My mother-in-law makes the absolute best pistachio cake. It is like a bunt cake. Yeah, it's a bunt cake. And you make that face, but I'm going to bring you a piece. Look, I, I will see you next week. I will bring you a I piece like of this. I promise pistachios. you. Pistachios. I can get down with it. It is a bunt cake, pistachio bunt cake. It's, so it's like, I don't know exactly how they make it. It's kind of like something with like uh, pistachio pudding is mixed into it and everything like that. Um, but and then on the top layer of it is like a cinnamon crunch type Ooh. topping. And it is, I'm telling you, when I tell you that thing, that's... That's like the, my favorite dessert of all time at this point. It really is. And I promise you, I might be hyping it up a little bit much, but I'm going to bring it to you next week and you can tell the people, Dude, I would love you to can tell the that. people what you think, because that thing, that's, that's the dessert right there. I I'm will eat I, she, for my birthday or like at like Christmas, I think at Christmas last year, she made me an entire cake of it. And she I was like part of my Christmas present. And I, I, I destroyed, I gave one person a piece of it and I destroyed the rest of it. I mean, it is like <laughs> absolutely insane you're so your same reason for like what makes a good um apple pie is you got to have the crumble topping that's why i've always preferred um gosh i'm i'm blanking right now oh cobbler like apple cobbler or peach Ooh, cobbler yeah. peach that's why i've always preferred okay. cobblers over pies because you always get that good crunch topping and then yeah. it's always stupid good with some ice cream and you heat it up oh. a little bit the ice cream kind of melts in it but you still got a little dollop of ice cream as well undefeated one of definitely one of the best holiday desserts as well so but i think that kind of concludes it for our rundown of thanksgiving we hope you guys are able to enjoy it with your families and everything like that tomorrow hope you guys have a great day eat a lot of good food we're super thankful for you guys the people that tune into us that help support us that hit the subscribe button that hit the like button every single video that leave comments people like you guys in the live chat right now and even you guys that listen to us on the podcast form as well we appreciate all of you guys we're super thankful for you guys and i hope you guys have a lot to be thankful for as well another way you can help us out we have the socials you guys know the rundown dr underscore jwell the stodfather and the classic city pod over on twitter you can get all the alerts for our show over on the bird app and then, as always, like I said, hit that su- hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already, hit the like button. And Stoddard, you got the rest of it. We love all of you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope everybody has a great time with their family. Um, we look forward. Make sure you tag us in some in some pictures on on social media with your families or with you know the meal, your spread that you have, your plate that you make, all that kind of stuff. We love to see what everybody else does on Thanksgiving, and hopefully you guys enjoy the time with your families. It's a special time of year. Um, the next couple of months here, you get to spend time with your families and everything like that, and and get close to everybody. So hopefully everybody has a really really good Thanksgiving. Um, we will catch you guys back next week on there. But as always, keep it classy in the classic city, and we will see you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving.